This is the Lost Start of Communication, hosted by Molly and Trisha. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Lost Start of Communication podcast. We are very pleased to introduce today's guest. Her name is Helen Snape, and she is a relationship coach. Welcome, Helen. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course. Thanks for being here. So why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your role as a relationship coach and what inspired you to want to come on a podcast about communication? Yeah. Um, so yeah, as I said, I'm Helen Snape. I'm a relationship coach. I particularly work with women that say yes to everyone else and have a hard time saying yes to themselves. And I really work with them on building their, their confidence and boundaries and healthy relationship skills. And the reason that I was intrigued by your podcast is because I've, I've always been fascinated about relationships, but also about how we communicate. And my background is in human resources and training. And I did a lot of work with like personality profiling. And a lot of that was about our preferences in how we interact with other people and how we communicate with them and how we perceive the different meanings that come back to us. But then that's also played into, you know, how is it that we show up and how is it that we communicate when we're kind of stuck in patterns of people pleasing? And how is it that we get to a place where we automatically say yes to things that we end up regretting and then having to backtrack? from that's such a huge point I think people pleasing is a really widespread issue particularly among women but men deal with it as well so where do you even start with that how do you help someone recognize if they are a people pleaser yeah uh, well it shows up in all areas of your life for a start I mean most people that I speak to they say you know this has like been a problem like since since they were children you know it's not normally something that just kind of happens (laughs) happens to you like one day um but it shows up in yeah in basically that you say yes to too many things so you end up over committing yourself and you end up with no time for yourself and you feel overwhelmed it also can look like that you just you're not really in touch with like how you're feeling because you're so busy worrying about how everybody else is and what they're thinking and feeling. And so you just don't have any time to think about, God, you know, what do I think? What do I feel? And you just don't want to go there. And so then what happens is you pretend that you're fine. So, you know, typically, you know, people please with somebody, you know, whatever is going on for them. So they might've had a really bad day, but if you ask them how they are, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, you know, that fixed smile on the face. Yeah. Um, and they would just do their best to fit in with everyone else. So you, it's very hard to get to know somebody really well that, that is kind of stuck in people-pleasing patterns because they're just they're doing their best to fit in with what they think you want from them, if that makes sense. And I can imagine that's really draining, like to be always thinking about what other people's thoughts are to then fit into that mold. 
And Trish and I have spoken about this on our podcast in previous episodes, but we are self-identified people pleasers and we are in the process of learning how to not. So this topic is really hitting home. Everything you just described, I've been there. I've done it. I've been the type of person to over super trivial things to like agree with other people and then catch myself afterwards and say, wait, why did I agree with that? Why did I like say I liked that? I think I was in a conversation with a coworker once and she was telling me about some food she really enjoyed. And I was like, oh my goodness, I love that too. And I'd never tried that. It was just my knee jerk reaction to say, yes, me too. And I remember it, like, it was such a silly thing, but it got brought up like a couple weeks later, like, oh yeah, Molly, you like that too. And I was like, I don't know what that is. So I had to say, I'm sorry, I said that because I don't know why. And so even trivial things like that can, you know, be identified as people pleasing. And I think I want to know more about like why we do it. Like, why do you think people become people pleasers? Mm, Big question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it comes from, I think it does come from our childhoods, um, that there's something about them that we felt like we maybe had to grow up too quickly and we had to take care of other people. And so we kind of ended up squishing down our own needs and we got into this kind of like intermittent reward cycle because obviously like if you do make other people happy, then that's nice, right? Like we like making other people happy. And, and so then you kind of get this, this like temporary reward because you feel good because the other person feels good. And so you kind of get this reward feedback. And of course, it's also condoned like by society. You know, we all love a giver. <laughs> we, we all love people that are going to give and say yes to things that we want them to do. Um, and so it gets reinforced that way. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like that you said what you said about it makes other people feel good. Because as you were talking before, what I was thinking was, yeah, a lot of times we say yes to things because we expect that that's going to make the other person feel good. So I think this is really hard for people who are very empathetic because we want the other person to be happy. We want to make everyone else happy. But something that I think is really important to recognize is that if you yourself are happy, you're going to make other people happy regardless of what you say. People admire that and your authenticity. And if you're constantly bending over backwards, you may temporarily please someone else. But if you're neglecting your own needs, I don't think in the long run that that's sustainable. So how do you help people first identify and recognize these patterns, but then also start to make the transition to stop doing them and help people see that just saying yes and lying about liking food you've never tried is not the answer. Because if it is starting in childhood, that's very deeply ingrained. And we all know that those patterns that come from the beginning of life, those are very difficult to transform and to break. So how do you, what do you do? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so for a start, it's, it's just about raising your awareness of, you know, when you might be getting sucked into those patterns and recognizing like who it's with and, and, and when you do it um, with, a, with a kindness to it, you know, because we're, we're also like our own worst judges, right? 
So, you know, we, we recognize, oh my God, I said yes again. And I didn't mean to. And then we beat ourselves up and just like, it doesn't help. So it's, it's first of all, it's, it's just raising our awareness of, of what's going on. Um, and then, and then it's about like turning this amazing attention and caring that we give to everyone else back to ourselves. And that starts with just giving ourselves that attention. So instead of, instead of being so focused on, okay, well, well, what is she thinking? What is, what is she feeling? And, and how do I kind of help her? It's actually, what do I think? What, what do I feel? And how can I express that in an appropriate way? That is a simple place to start. I'm just imagining if we are people pleasing for everybody else, it's kind of turning the job on people pleasing for yourself. Like people please yourself and say (laughs) yes to yourself. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And that is, it's, it sounds very simple, but it's, it's really hard to do. As you say, like when we've kind of grown up with ingrained patterns Um, and I suppose it's, it's recognizing when it's become a problem because of course, you know, we all do like to, to give and, and to be caring of, of other people, but it's when you're doing it so much, it's to your own detriment and you're not, you know, you're not looking after your own health and well-being, and you're too tired to, to do anything for yourself. Um, yeah. I want to touch on something that you mentioned briefly. You said identifying who this is happening with. So I'm just curious, are there ever cases where people aren't necessarily chronic people pleasers and it's really just with one or two people or maybe in their romantic relationship or maybe with this one particular friend, they have difficulty, but then in other situations, they're very able to assert themselves. So just curious if that ever happens or if it's usually like all or nothing. (laughs) Usually it's all or nothing. You know, if it's kind of working out in one area of your life, it, it tends to be working out in another area of your life. There are some people who do kind of compartmentalize their lives a little bit more. And so they will show up a a certain way at work. So say, you know, they've, you know, they're very assertive at work perhaps, but when they get home, they're completely different and they just kind of go into people pleasing mode when they get home. Um, That's a little bit more unusual, um, but it, it does happen. You know, some people are just very different in different environments. So you started off by saying raising awareness is the first step, right? So, and being gentle with ourselves when we're raising awareness, because I can imagine myself included as a people pleaser, I am very hard on myself too. I'm sure those probably are comorbid um, behaviors, but um, once you become aware of that, the fact that you are people pleasing, how do you then go about changing your behavior? Because I know for me, it's really hard to start changing because like you said, you get that positive reinforcement from people when you do people please and you're creating scenarios in your head for if you say no or if you don't agree with somebody and that's a hard barrier to cross. How would you suggest starting that process of, you know, you're aware, you know, you're a people pleaser, now what? Mm. So for me, it's, 
it's really about developing a solid relationship with yourself. Because what, what we've done when we've kind of got caught into patterns of people pleasing is that we're used to referencing other people all the time. And so we don't really know ourselves. Like we can't really speak up for ourselves because we don't really know what we think or what we feel. And so it is a process of, of really getting to know ourselves. So starting off with things like, you know, what is it that I really value? What is important to me? What does motivate me? What gets me out of bed in the morning? What pisses me off? <laughs> and then getting in touch with, you know, what we, what we love doing, um, what we hate doing. And just getting reacquainted with ourselves. Because, you know, how can, how can I speak up for myself if I don't know what's important to me or what's okay for me and what's not okay for me? You know, people often ask me about um, setting boundaries. Like They're just like, I, I just need to know what to say in this situation. And, well, for a start, it's like, well, I can't tell you because you know, your boundaries are unique to you. But also in order to create what I would call like solid boundaries, you've got to do the groundwork first. You can't just kind of pick a, pick a boundary out of a book. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just set that one and see if that works. You know, you, you've got to come from a solid foundation of knowing yourself and valuing yourself. I think that's huge. And something I've personally been working on a lot lately is really identifying like you said, what matters to me. And one thing that's very difficult in general, and probably especially for people pleasers, because we're so aware of what society wants, is really distinguishing the things that we desire and that we feel are appropriate boundaries and our values compared to what society says our values should be. So a lot of times saying, oh, well, I should want to be really assertive at work or something, or like, I should want this one thing. And it's like, well, maybe that's not what I actually want. Maybe I'd rather be more subtly persuasive or something. That's just, it's not a true example of my life, but just something to consider is we often take these attributes that we just consider to be positive or the right thing without actually stopping to think, do I really believe that? Is that what I want for my life? Does this bring me joy? So I really love that you mentioned taking an inventory of the things that you love, the things that make you feel good, the things that don't make you feel good, so that you can incorporate more of the things that you do like and really get to know yourself that way. Because if you're constantly doing things that you're not really enjoying, it's going to be really hard to actually figure out what it is you like and ultimately who you are. So I love, I love all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can see like looking back on my HR career, you know, for a, a quite a while, I just kept going in that career because I felt like, well, I should continue in it. Right. You know, I've, I've built up my career, you know, I'm in a good position. I should surely want to go for another promotion, <laughs> but it wasn't, it perhaps wasn't really like what my heart desired except I didn't know that at the time because I was so out of touch with myself. 
I think that happens to so many people. I know so many people that are in jobs that they absolutely hate and they're like, well, I'm making this amount of money and like I'm working this many hours and like this is, I get this many benefits and all these things that sound great on paper. But when you stop and analyze, like I asked a friend the other day, if you, if society wasn't telling you that having that job was really prestigious, is that how you would opt to spend your time? And she was like, absolutely not. And so just something to think about. I like, cause there are jobs that exist that people love. And so it is possible to spend your time doing something that you really love. How did you catch yourself in that, in that space of, wow, I don't really love what I'm doing. And how did you have the courage to step outside of that? Because I think a lot of people know that they don't really love their job and that they, they could be doing something else, but it's really scary and vulnerable to actually take that action step. So do you mind sharing a little bit about how you did it? Yeah. I knew that I preferred the training and the mentoring and the coaching side of my job as opposed to, you know, dealing with disciplinary issues and making people redundant, <laughs> that kind of thing, um, for sure. Uh, and also, I got really good feedback on training and, and coaching and, and so on. Um, but it wasn't actually until a colleague of mine left and trained as an executive coach. And she said to me, have you ever thought about becoming a coach? And it just, it got me thinking. And then it reminded me that actually I had worked with a career coach about four years previously and they had also said to me, have you thought about becoming a coach? And so it's kind of like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe I could do this. But I was still feeling very cautious about it. And I stayed in touch with, with this friend who went off and became an executive coach. And she gave me a book to read, uh, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And that book, yeah, that book set me on the path. <laughs> Like I couldn't take all of it in. It was like, it was a bit much for me at the time, but brilliant, brilliant resource. If you're thinking about doing something a bit scary, this will help you to do it. Um, so I, I did that my title risk. just sounds like it would get you pushed in the right direction. Oh, it, yeah, it's a brilliant book, brilliant book. Um, so I, I did my research on different coaching courses and I found one that I fell in love with. Um, yeah, and I... <laughs> I left my job and I started my coaching diploma. Um, and yeah, it, I think it was just the universe working, working in the right way for me um, because it also happened at the same time that, that sadly my, my mother was, uh, was given a very poor prognosis and she'd been diagnosed with cancer a few years before. Um, and at the beginning of my coaching diploma, um, she was told that she only had a few months left to live. Um, and so it was, it was kind of a, a crazy year, but I felt really blessed because I had the time. I had the time to go and study my coaching, but then also to go and spend with my family. Um, so it was, it was kind of a transformational year in, in so many ways. That's really important. And I think a lot of this process is once you do identify what matters to you, it just sets you up in a position where you can 
have more time for the priorities. And obviously in that part of your life, your family was a top priority. And had you been working in that HR job, you probably wouldn't have had the time to go spend with your mother as much as you ended up having. So that's really beautiful and inspirational. And just the book that you mentioned, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. So I coach public speaking and I use that line all the time. I never knew it was a book, but I also saw on your blog that you have a a post about how self-confidence comes from trusting yourself. And that's something that I tell my clients all the time too. It's like confidence is trust. So do you mind speaking a little on that topic and how you came to that realization? Mm. So I, I kind of just realized that really confidence to me comes in two layers. And if you like the, the top layer or like the, the house <laughs> is like, is where our, our confidence and our abilities comes from. So say for example, you're learning a new language or you're learning to drive a car or you're learning to type or something, then you know, you, you go through that, that process of, you know, of, of where you're, um, or what is it, unconsciously incompetent and then consciously incompetent and you go through and, you know, you learn new skills, you seek out new opportunities and, and gradually your confidence builds. But, you know, we can all think of people that they may be amazingly good at what they do, but when other people criticize them, they just fall apart. You know, we often think about you know, performers or actors that they're just brilliant or they're really funny, but they have this really like low sense of who they are and, and criticism really hits home for them. And I think that's kind of the space that I was in. And to me, it's because you haven't got like a firm foundation of confidence in yourself. So that's where that comes in, is that you need the foundation of confidence in yourself, which means being able to trust yourself. And so it is about doing that foundational work about really getting to know who you are. Right? And, and nobody else can tell you that, right? You have to, you have to figure that stuff out for yourself. Yeah. I really, really like that because again, we talk about this all the time. It's all about the foundational work. We can't implement these boundaries and these rules for ourselves if we don't know what we want ourselves and so I think I just it's all resonating with me so well yeah yeah and you know and you start off where you start off I mean you know for me you know this journey really began five years ago when I left an abusive marriage and I really felt like I had lost myself in that marriage and I didn't really know where to start, but I just started with what I could. So I knew, for example, that I loved running. And so that's what I went and did. I just, I went running because I loved it. And it's just like, you just just build from there. Like find one thing that you love, go and do it. Or if you don't know, then go and try things out. try kayaking or or try snowboarding or whatever just how do you so your your comment on relationships just brought up a thought for me how do you think you know people pleasing and not knowing yourself can impact 
like a romantic relationship because I feel like a lot of the times people can go through life being people pleasers because it does serve them and it's getting them by but what detrimental impact does it have to be people pleaser in romantic or other relationships Mm. so I think there are two things I'd say about it one is that in in like a kind of a normal kind of relationship it just it prevents you developing real connection um, and real intimacy with your partner because they can't really get to know you properly because you're you're like a chameleon because you're you're always trying to kind of bend to what you think they want from you um and so they can't really get to know you so this is this is why that simple thing of being able to say no and to know when you want to say no is so helpful in your relationship and it also and you know it's not only for them obviously like for you as well you're not really going to be happy if you're agreeing to stuff that you don't really like you're going to end up building up resentment against your partner and quite a quite a common thing is that you know that people then they explode (laughs) their their partner is like where did that come from that's such a good point I think it's important especially for people pleasers to recognize that your behavior is not good for either one of you and so it feels good in the moment it's a lot harder Mm -hmm. to say no in the moment than it is to just nod along and say yeah like that's my favorite food too but just curious so you talked about establishing what your boundaries are, identifying what those are, what it is that what that means to you, what your values are. But then how do you recommend or do you have any tips for communicating said boundaries in a kind way? Because obviously we don't want to be harsh. We don't want to just be like, no, I hate that. Or, you know, we want to be polite as well and kind and keep other people's feelings into consideration. So what do you, how do you help people do that? Yeah. Um, so this is why like boundaries, on the one hand is kind of a really simple concept, but it's also quite complicated because I think it can be really helpful to, to have some flexibility in your boundaries and, and how you communicate them depending on who you're with. Because there will be some circumstances, say with a stranger, where just saying, no is is actually probably the most effective thing to do and you know and you don't have an ongoing relationship with them you just want to communicate the no and that's fine whereas say it's you know your partner or a family member sure you might want to soften it so you might want to um, explain it more thoroughly and maybe not using the language of boundaries because you know not everyone is familiar with them anyway so it might be just be more about saying you know you know when when you do this this is how I feel you know I would really love it if you could do this instead so for example I don't know if it's say you know your mother comes around to visit um unannounced and you would you would much prefer it if she would ring in advance and arrange with you when she comes to visit. So it could just be, you know, um, mother, you know, I, I love you. When you come around unannounced, I feel like I can't, I can't give you 
the time that I would like to, I feel stressed because I've got lots of things going on. I would really love it if you could ring ahead and arrange with me when you come over. I like that frame of putting it more of how this will benefit the other person. So you're not saying like, this bothers me. It's saying like, our time would be better spent if you let me know in advance. I would have be able to clear my schedule and we could really spend some quality time together. So I, I think that's very useful. And giving, I work with kids, like a replacement behavior, <laughs> like telling them what to do instead, right? Like, cause I like, I think a lot of the times we just get so, I think, our emotions can get the best of us when we're communicating a boundary that happens to me a lot. And I just blurt out what I feel and thinking through it first and thinking of a replacement behavior for the other person that would serve both of you better is a great way to go about it because it makes the other person know you care about them. You love them. I love how you started off with, Hey mom, I love you. (laughs) Um, But also just letting them know like, this behavior isn't serving me. This one would serve both of us better. And so you're still saying yes to the situation, but you're not being a people pleaser. Mm. Yeah. So what is it coaching with you look like? How does it, does someone just come in and say, here, here are my problems. Is it more like therapy or more like you're giving them action steps or how does, how does that work? Yeah. Um, so if somebody works with me one-to-one, then I will tailor my coaching for them and I use a mixture of coaching and and mindfulness and for some people meditation as well because I'm a big fan of meditation and I believe it can really help us to reduce that overthinking and overanalyzing and can help us to get in touch with how we feel which we really need to do more of and just helps us to calm down and slow down so I love it. Um, I also run a group coaching program, which is a bit more structured, where we kind of go through a series of of modules, which are all leading up to being able to put in place boundaries. But it's putting in place that solid foundation work first, so so that they'll stick. And it looks like you have um, a book on your website as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, there's um, a free book on my website, which people can download called Building Healthy Boundaries, uh, an overgiver's guide on when to say yes and how to say no in relationships. Um, And in it, you know, I talk a little bit about my own journey of realizing that I had no boundaries um, and the impact that that had on my life. Um, I talk through what boundaries are and what they look like when they're good and when they're bad. And I just I talk through the steps that anyone can go through to being able to build healthy, solid boundaries that are going to work for them. That sounds perfect and so relevant to today's conversation and it's free and downloadable on the website. So highly encourage everyone listening to download that. I know that I will be reading it for sure. So Helen, we always like to wrap up with asking if there was one tangible action step that people can put into place today or begin doing immediately to help either with their people pleasing or just to be better communicators in general, what would you suggest? Mm. So a key lovely little tip for people that are struggling with 
you know, this automatically saying yes all the time is to master the pause. To just, before you say yes, pause, pause and breathe. And what that allows you to do, it just, it gives you the time and the space just to have the thought about, is this really something I want to say yes to? Just begins to introduce it. That would have helped me in my food situation for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And I think meditation and mindfulness helps with that so much too, because it just reminds you it's okay to be silent and still, and it's okay to take a moment and think. And I think that's hugely important. Thank you for all of this wisdom and guidance and advice. Where can our listeners find you to have more? Yeah, on my website, which is helensnape.com or on Facebook, Helen Snape Coaching. Beautiful. We will link all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Helen. And thank you everyone for listening. We wish you a wonderful day. Bye.